Welcome to the Gordon Asset Management Podcast, a show for savers, investors, and entrepreneurs, helping you to stay informed, invest wisely, and achieve the unimaginable. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the Gordon Asset Management Podcast. This is your host, Todd Zempel. Today, I invited to the show a local legend in the startup scene, Scott Wingo. Scott is founder of many businesses, Stingray, Auction Rover, Channel Advisor, Spiffy On Demand Car Care. Uh, Scott's also a major podcaster. He hosts a podcast called The Jason and Scott Show, as well as Vehicle 2.0. So, Scott, welcome to the show. If you don't mind, provide a little background on yourself for our listeners yeah, I'm from a uh, from a little town in South Carolina called Aiken. So most people have not heard of that unless they're into horses or golf or uh, nuclear physics. So that so it's a weird intersection of three things that you don't see everywhere. <clears throat> uh, so uh, grew up in a little small town in the southeast, uh, you know, and then went to University of South Carolina undergrad in, in Columbia um, and got a degree in computer engineering, and then came up to the Raleigh Durham area and got my master's in in computer engineering at NC State. Uh, that's where I really fell in love with this area, and then I got a job at a startup up in Connecticut uh, and realized uh, after two or three years that that I love startups, but not cold weather. So moved back down to the Triangle and started a series of four companies uh, that you you outlined there. Now, Scott, I was introduced to you through the social media app Clubhouse. Uh, on recollection, it was like a Friday night. There was a room going on that I was pinged into, and it was all founders of local businesses here in the Triangle region of North Carolina, um, telling their stories. And what really struck me listening to this conversation was what an absolutely rich startup and entrepreneurial, uh, environment we have here locally. What do you think we can attribute that environment to? Yeah, the, so, you know, we have this kind of really nice primordial soup of, of entrepreneur and startup thinking. So we have, uh, you know, kind of a youngish region, um, I've had several people tell me the Raleigh Durham is a Goldilocks city and this interesting, you know, kind of like, you know, it's not too hot, not too cold kind of a thing. Um, so you've got this, this interesting mix of highly educated. We've got the three universities here plus more, right? The three biggies, but then there's a whole lot of universities here. So we've got a lot of business people being coming out of there. We've got a lot of uh, you know, tech people coming out. Um, and then you know, it's just a great place to live. Then we have a lot of people moving here too. So, so I think all that swirls together. We've got, we've got just enough capital. We've had, you know, we've, we haven't had like that super tentpole consumer success, but we've had Red Hat, uh, you know, so on the, the B2B side, we've had a lot of successes. Um, and a lot of that is starting to spill over. We're, we're no Silicon Valley, but, but I actually, you know, my argument is we shouldn't want to be Silicon Valley. We have our own flavor of things here. I'd, I'd put us more uh, kind of in the camp of an Austin and Atlanta, um, those kind of entrepreneurial ecosystems. So, uh, and then what's unique about the triangle, even compared to those is, you know, that, that kind of triangle, very open, um, very helpful to each other, uh, always willing to give each other a hand and, and share things. So, so that's always the big feedback I get when people come to the areas, they're surprised about how, how supportive everyone is and how close knit the, the ecosystem is. 
Without doubt, you know, and I've lived other places and it seems like here locally, there's definitely more of a rising tide lifts all ships type of vibe than in many other major cities. Would you agree? Yeah. The, the first, the first thing you realize being in startups for a while is, you know, through our, through school and everything that we're exposed to from, you know, essentially birth to, to, to when you're 22 is that the world is a zero sum game. And there's a lot of stuff that is a zero sum game, right? So if you and I are playing cards, uh, one of us is going to win and one of us is going to lose. If we're, you know, there's only one valedictorian, uh, all this kind of stuff, right? So, and that's good. And it creates this, you know, it, it kind of helps you set up to the world that a lot of things aren't fair and, and whatnot. But then what you realize in startups is I can be successful. Jess Lipson can be successful. You can be successful. You know, everyone can be successful and it doesn't cost us anything. And, you know, I think a lot of other areas for the reason, um, you know, maybe it's a lack of capital or maybe they're in this knife fight for, for talent or something like that. Um, that, that lesson hasn't really set in like it has in the triangle. I think, I think we're all very much bought into the success of the area and each other, and it's not mutually exclusive to your own success. Now, speaking of success, you're obviously a very successful guy, having founded and run several very successful companies. Um, I'd imagine you could easily just ride off into the sunset. What keeps you involved? What, what keeps you uh, interested in investing and in, in running these businesses and being plugged into the local scene? Yeah, the the magic to me of startups um, that, that always makes me very excited to either invest in one or, or operate one is you have this idea and then, and this is what's really fun about software. Other businesses have this element, but in software, it's even more kind of magical in that you have this idea and then you create intellectual property. You essentially take, you know, an idea, uh, this conceptual thing, you run it through people's really smart brains and out comes code. And then you have customers and suddenly you've created, you know, a lot of value from, from these ideas. So that, that process of building and going from idea to product and then iterating on it, I, I just get a lot of enjoyment out of that. And uh, it's just really fun to build things. I'm a, you know, if we were at the beach, I'd be the guy building the sandcastle, not, not tearing it down or walking past it. It's, you know, I just like to build things and and the challenge of building things um, and, you know, especially when people tell me that it's a bad idea, that's a very motivating thing for me. So uh, I've raised a lot, I've, you know, for example, I've raised a lot of venture capital and I, I get a lot of energy from all the no's that I get. <laughs> and so, so that those are some of the things that, that drive me is to, to really build something. And, um, you know, and then there's a lot of other fun things that, that every business has like working, you get to pick the people you work with. So, uh, you know, it's one of the few times you get to say that, uh, you can't pick your family. And if, if you, if you have a boss, uh, you know, frequently you can't pick the people you work with. So, so it is nice to, to be able to control that. Um, but those are, those are the secondary to just the, the fun of building is what I really enjoy. Yeah. And I think you and I share that similar kind of spark. I mean, I, I always like to see things elevated to the next level. So when somebody throws out an idea, I just can't help myself. I'm, you know, I'm always like, well, we can do this and this and this, and we can add to it and we can, you know, five years from now to look like this. And I, I just get really excited about that kind of thing. And, and I do tend to drive some people nuts with it. I can't shut it off. I wish I could. Um, curious if you uh, tend to drive others around you as, as crazy as I do. <laughs> uh, I'm only, I'm, I'm usually uh, not doing it at cocktail parties, so I, I can turn it <laughs> off, I guess. And, uh, but you know, it, it is fun to meet a, an entrepreneur um, and, 
you know, I, I, uh, I have this thing that we'll talk about called the tweener list and, and it has set me up to be able to meet a lot of new people that are either coming to the area or coming out of school that want to do entrepreneurship. Um, and it's really funny to hear, fun to hear their ideas. I am not a good, I'm not like the Simon Cowell, uh, where I'm going to decide if your idea is good or bad. But once I hear an idea, I get like a hundred thoughts of things they should think about. And generally, you know, two or three of them tend to be helpful to them, but it's because I've seen this, these so many patterns over the years that I can kind of hopefully help steer them into some different directions as a, a random third party person that's hearing their idea. So, so that is a lot of fun. And, and it kind of sounds similar to what, what you do as well. That said, let's go ahead and jump right into the triangle tweeners list. Can you explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah, so I've been in the startup ecosystem in the triangle for like let's call it 25 years, um, maybe 30 if if we're uh, if you want to see how old I am. And uh, uh, so you know, the first half of that, I would say, what we needed in the ecosystem was just more entrepreneurs. So so I would spend a lot of time convincing folks like. Uh, I remember meeting this really senior engineer at Cisco, and he had this idea. His name was 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 Robbie Allen, and convinced him that you know leaving Cisco and starting a company wasn't going to be the end of the world. That if it didn't work out, he could always go get another job. And and he started a company called Automated Insights, and that did really well. And he sold it for like you know fifty, eighty million or something like that. And so so a lot of the first kind of half of of helping the ecosystem grow was was really convincing people that it was a thing and and you weren't going to you know essentially uh, you know starve being an entrepreneur. Um, and then you know so then I started Channel Advisor and then the last five years I mean, Channel Advisor we went public and everything were, were super intense and I really didn't have much time to give back to the the eco the the environment. And so then after that, and kind of while, while Spiffy was still early, I poked my head up and, and what I found, and this is kind of like, let's say 2014, 2015, and the exact opposite was the problem. There were so many people that had started companies. And, and I attribute a lot of that to the co-working spaces we have. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of like half incubating, half co-working. It's probably not fair to call them just co-working. But we have, um, you know, it used to be called HQ Raleigh, and now it's Raleigh Founded, and then American Underground. And those guys and the ecosystems they've created have started so much startup energy that it's it's impossible to uh, understand. It's, it's hard to help because there's just so many people. So then, um, and then also at the same time, I know uh, through what we do at Channelvisor, we, at Channelvisor, we partner, Channelvisor helps brands and retailers sell across the internet. So we work with all the big e-commerce companies. So a lot of Amazon folks, eBay, Google, Yahoo back in the day, Facebook, et cetera. A lot of those people have been trickling into the triangle. And as they come here, they would use LinkedIn and find me and they would say, hey, I see you're in the startup uh, area of the triangle. Uh, you know, What are some startups I should look at when I moved to the area? So I always kept this little Evernote of, of companies that were kind of at scale that they should start to, um, you know, obviously including Channel Advisor and NetSerta and all these guys. So, so I said, you know, what we need is, what I need is a better list of companies that I can help uh, scale uh, because that's because I've built things to a pretty good size, that's where I think I can add the most value and kind of my unique skill set right now. So that list doesn't exist. Um, there's Crunchbase and you can kind of use LinkedIn, but no one had like really curated it. So I said, well, that I'm going to curate it. And, and in the process of doing it for myself, maybe it will help other people. And I, I coined it the triangle tweener list. And, um, you know, the definition of a tweener is uh, a million dollar run rate uh, and up. So up to kind of like 80 million, let's say. And uh, so that's the floor and the ceiling. And then uh, on the 
Uh, I also, it, it really needs to be a technology company. So there's no agencies on there, recruiting firms. There's tons of, you know, um, I, I kind of targeted, I wanted the list to be about 100, 50 to 100 names. So it would be manageable. So, so I kind of self-designed the list to kind of meet that criteria, if you will. Um, uh, so I published it four or five, five years ago, and uh, it has been, you know, uh, very successful. People really uh, have found it super helpful that are moving to the area. Um, an unintended consequence is companies have raised a lot of capital from the list. So VCs use it as kind of a hunt list when they come to the area. Uh, so I get to meet a lot of the VCs that come to the area, which has been nice. And then, you know, as you can imagine with COVID, you've probably seen all the reports and maybe you've experienced yourself. That trickle that I mentioned of people moving to our area has become a full-on tsunami of people moving to our area. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, I used to be able to have coffee with a good percentage of people and hang out with them. But I have it's become so robust that it's hard to meet everybody. Um, but I, I hear regularly that the list is super helpful for people that are moving to the area and want to get a feel for the landscape. And so, so it's been real rewarding in that, it, you know, this thing that, you know, is relatively simple and not this, you know, you know, it's not nuclear science or anything, um, but it's kind of this intersection of, of, of content and curation. Uh, a lot of people get value from it and, and uh, I enjoy it. And I'm actually uh, going to be publishing the, it's always a year lagging. So the 2021 I'll publish uh, next week and that will cover what happened in 2020. So that's, it's a little belated uh, because things at Spiffy are, are been quite busy. <laughs> so the day job always, always uh, keeps me on my toes, but I, I've been able to eke out an hour here or there and it'll be out next year. So, um, and then in there, I also uh, highlight anyone that got sold, raised capital, and then also anyone on the list that's new. Um, and this year uh, we have a big crop of new companies. So it's always, it's a lot of fun to kind of, um, you know, see, see what's going on. And, and over time, the list has grown. It started out at about 80 and now it's well north of 150 companies that, that meet the criteria. That is very cool. Uh, what are some interesting stories from that list that you can share with our listeners? Well, the, the first thing is, you know, I mentioned that we have this kind of diverse kind of set of companies in the triangle and uh, that's the first thing you you realize on the tweener list is just even in even in the kind of the software you have advertising technology ed tech uh, it, it's kind of hip in the world of VCs I guess to coin these things something tech so we've got food tech ag tech ad tech ed tech <laughs> marketing tech um, we've got a lot of auto tech which is kind of what we're doing at Spiffy's in the automotive category um, and then you've got obviously um, and I don't really go into this but you've got a lot of uh, oh and there's health tech so technology for helping the healthcare infrastructure you know uh, infrastructure we've got a ton of that things around electronic client records and running clinical trials um, and then that's just my list and if, if you kind of look outside of there we've got the triangle has a really big set of biotech things going on you know, a, a lot of the, um, I just saw, you know, we have a CRISPR related company here in the triangle kind of using gene splicing to create some stuff. Um, so that that's part of the fun of the triangle is diversity of types of companies. Um, but then when I look at the list, uh, I also noticed that we're, there's a lot of female founders on there, which I think is great. So, um, you know, we have, I, I, it's impossible to know, but I feel like we over-index on, on, you know, diverse um, founders here in the triangle. So that's good. And then, you know, the other thing that's really interesting is it, in in Silicon Valley, uh, a lot of companies are uh, you know, kind of ranked by how much run, money they've raised. Um, 
And the other thing you find is when you look at this kind of roughly 150 companies, maybe about half have raised capital, but the other half are bootstrapped or, you know, they've, um, they, another really interesting pattern. And, and it's interesting because VCs would tell you this never works, but I've, you know, I can see it working a lot on, on the tweener list is companies will start as kind of consulting shops, right? And then they'll see this pattern where, you know, maybe they're doing a mobile app consultancy or um, my favorite my favorite one is a company called Prometheus. So it's a, a guy named Eric out of NC State. Um, he's an industrial engineer, wasn't exactly sure we wanted to do out of school. So he started a consultancy around industrial engineering. And after going at that for a number of years, he started to see this pattern where everyone that had the big ERP software called SAP. Um, they um, they they didn't like the. It has this module for for maintaining your your plant uh, if you have a, a factory, uh, but no one used it, and they would all call him to come build a, a piece of what that didn't do. So over time, he saw this pattern, and he effectively built a product that that plugs into SAP and it effectively competes with their own native app that really stinks apparently. Um, and then he built that into a, a, a unicorn scale company and unicorn in startups is a billion dollar valuation. Um, and then there he cleverly sold some to private equity and bought some back. And he's been very astute at, at, at kind of doing things people say can't be done. Um, and it's really interesting, um, you know, to, to see, a non-traditional path like that, where you always read about, you know, the 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 more Mark Zuckerberg path, where you come up with this idea and raise four hundred million dollars and create a twenty billion dollar company. Um, you know, so so I, I like those stories better than than kind of the Hollywood kind of stories. That's very interesting. Um, what are some of the other stories that you've run into over over your time doing this? You know, again, it's surprising. Um, there was one just recently whose name escapes me that, uh, you know, it was a software as a service business and didn't take any capital, got to 10 million and then sold for, you know, a couple hundred million dollars to, you know, a lot of VCs that come to the area, they're like, I'm looking for this kind of thing. And I'm like, gosh, there's, it's an impossible set of criteria you have there. And then they'll find it and then they will, they will come in and, and either acquire it or, or, or join in. Um, that's interesting. Um, one one of our best startup stories is uh, another kind of co-founder in the area uh, is Joe Kalapi. He and Chaz started uh, Bronto, and uh, around the same time we started Channelvisor. And at Channelvisor, we took this path of you know raising capital and accelerating. Well, Bronto always just kind of you know uh, they just bootstrapped and and kind of slow boiled it. And I would always give them a hard time, and you know, but then they sold the company to to NetSuite, who was later purchased by Oracle for you know uh, uh, quite a nice hundreds of millions of dollars kind of a thing. And they didn't have to share it with anyone. Uh, so, so that that's, uh, you know, jokes on me that uh, they were uh, you know, a lot, you know, a lot clever and then able to keep, keep a hundred percent of their company and, and sell it for a very large number by being more patient than, than I guess I am. Now, Scott, you're obviously plugged into the community. You've been doing the tweeners list for a while. What are the trends that, that you're seeing? What, what, co- what types of companies are successful um, how do they get funding? What's working here locally? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the interesting trends is, um, and this may be, you know, you're you're kind of in the wealth management, right? So, and maybe this isn't interesting to folks, but maybe it is. Uh, one of the trends is crowdfunding, right? And um, you know, so there, there's a lot of negative connotations around this, but 
it's becoming easier and easier for the average person to invest in a startup. And a lot of this is caveat emptor and there's a lot of risk and, and I'll, I'll be the first to acknowledge that. But, you know, it is interesting in that, you know, some of these, these really awesome companies, you could only have access if you were an LP in like, you know, Sequoia Ventures or one of these top tier venture capital funds. Um, so, so there's a democratization of that happening. And, you know, it, I kind of think of it as from a risk management perspective. Uh, yeah, I, I have, you know, if I think about my portfolio, I'm, I'm way over indexed on, on putting money in startups, right? Because that's just what I do, but I'm seeing more and more um, companies and, and we deal a lot with family offices at, at Spiffy, for example. And this, that's kind of a new thing that I had never dealt with at Channel Advisor. And they're saying they're looking at it and they're saying, yeah, I, I'm going to have a portfolio of real estate and some commercial businesses and, um, you know, stocks and bonds and all that jazz and, and maybe even be an LP in a venture fund or something like that. But then a lot of them are doing direct investing and going earlier and earlier because, you know, that's where as you as you add a little risk into your portfolio, you get outsized returns. So so the crowdfunding is interesting in that, you know, there's this regulation CF kind of thing, which is crowdfund. And the SEC just raised that to five million. And you know, at the same time, we have this Robinhood generation of of young investors, right, that are using these apps and and really kind of getting a almost a gamified exposure to investing. So there's a lot of really interesting things going on there that that uh, you know I'm sure you talk a lot about in your business. But you know, if I was a business owner and I had I don't know a, a body shop or something like that, you know, maybe you take one percent of something and and put it into a little portfolio of some startups that you know that you're interested in. Um, there's a lot of angel investors in the triangle. Uh, the other thing that's nice is it's easy to get involved in this. It used to be hard and, and you had to commit capital. So each of our universities has an angel network now. So if you have an affiliation or you're an alumni of one of the universities, you can get in these angel networks. And if folks are interested in this, it's a great way to get involved. And, and um, I really like it because you don't even have to invest in companies. You can just see the pitches. So um, I'm an NC State guy. So the, the Wolfpack one is called Wolfpack Investor Network. Um, the Carolina has the Carolina Angel Network. And then Duke has as the Duke Angel Network. Uh, I remember it. Uh, Dan can win is kind of the, the little sentence I've put together so I can remember that. Um, <laughs> but the way these work is you, you pay a little bit of an access, you know, kind of a to be in the club, if you will. Uh, and it's, not, it's not, not significant. And then you get access to the deal flow. And I like this because we've had these angel groups in the triangle before and I've participated in them and they've invested in my companies and I like them. But they have a pretty high hurdle in that you have to commit somewhere north of $50,000 to be, you know, and, and then then you then you're in there and, and you can see stuff. This has really lowered the bar. And then you only in, then the other thing is they invest as a group in things they like. There's kind of a committee that that kind of leads the trail there. So you know, as a software guy, I don't really want to invest in um, drugs, but they would go and invest in drugs and. Um, and, uh, you know, so what I like is I get to choose what I want to invest in, but I still get to see all this stuff. So I get to hear all the cool, you know, we're going to cure cancer with this thingamajiggy kind of pitches and learn, but you know, I don't necessarily need to put my capital into that. So I, I would encourage listeners to poke around and um, I'll send you links so you can put them in the show notes. But, but I, you know, that's a really interesting mechanism that exists today that's never existed in the last five years. Now, Scott, let me throw a total curveball at you. Um, you're obviously a smart guy into technology. I'm sure you follow this kind of stuff. Um, blockchain technology, Bitcoin, the latest thing, these NFTs. Do you have an opinion on these things? 
I do. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, so what you find a lot of these new technologies, they go through this, this cycle and it's pretty well documented. Um, there's a company Gartner, I think that does the best job of documenting this. They call it the Gartner hype cycle. And, um, you know, in my world, for example, there was a lot of noise around machine learning and, you know, all this magic stuff it would do and every vendor had it. And then, so that's the hype cycle. And then you go into this thing they call the trough of disillusionment where everyone's like, okay, you got me excited about this and now it's not really useful. I hate it. And, but then you come out the other side and what happens is, you know, the, the kernel inside of there that's useful starts to actually get used. And then, you know, um, and then it's kind of, uh, then you go through this normal product adoption. Um, so like machine learning, uh, just this morning, my, uh, it was interesting. I was walking my dogs and realized I was running low on food for my dog. And then uh, I asked Alexa about the weather and she said, hey, do you need dog food? And I was kind of like, whoa, that's just freaky, right? So that's an example. So machine learning is working, right? So that's that's a really nice use case where I was like, this is pretty convenient. And I just said, yes, order dog food. Um, so, you know, in the early days of machine learning, that wasn't happening. So so I kind of put crypto and, and this decentralized thing there. Um, you know, I, I think Bitcoin is interesting. I think of it as a currency, but it's a currency that that uh, can't be manipulated. And uh, I know you probably know a lot about this. Uh, I'm a I'm a armchair economist. You know, we've printed more money in the last three years than exists, right? So, you know, there, what is it like six trillion dollars of new money supply? Um, that's got to result in some kind of a unintended consequence. Obviously, inflation, but I, I have no idea what else is going to come out of that. Well, what's really cool about Bitcoin is number one, it's designed to have a limited supply, both every day a certain amount is is made available, uh, but then over its lifetime, there's only 21 million Bitcoins that can be made. So, so, and I, I also should add, add I'm a, a collector of, uh, I started kind of collecting comic books and some other stuff. So I'm a collector. So this, you know, I, I'm very attuned to scarcity. Um, so it has a scarcity to it that's really interesting. So, um, so Bitcoin's interesting to me from a currency perspective, and then also the way it aligns incentives where it rewards people for for mining and running the cloud computing, the distributed cloud kind of stuff. Um, the the NFTs are very interesting to me because, um, you know, uh, again, I come from the comic book world, and what uh, I've actually collected comic book art. In the last five years, new comic book art has dried up because that whole process went digital. So there may be like this awesome new Spider-Man comic book cover I want, but it's not available because it's purely digital. They, they actually mostly don't really do it on paper anymore. Um, so I'm excited about NFTs because these things that were digital and locked up that you couldn't quote unquote own or collect are now going to come out. Um, and everyone was really credulous until the NBA came out with one shot. And I think they showed the world you know, how popular this can be. And I think I think you're going to see, so obviously you have the NBA, which is a big brand supporting that as an experiment. And I think they've made something like $300 million off of it. That's probably pure margin. So I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more NFTs. I, I think you'll see every sports league coming out. And I'm kind of waiting for the really big guys like like a Disney, like a really big content company to come out and have a strategy there. Um, and again, like Bitcoin, where the incentives are interesting, the incentives on these are are, are pretty clever because um, you know, let's say... Um, uh, you're a musician, so you probably know that there's a lot of guitars that are collectible, right? Uh, this is not my world, but I'll use it as an example because it probably resonates with you. So I, I can go to eBay and buy you know a collectible Fender, and Fender doesn't see a dime of that. They only made money the first time that guitar sold. Well, all the ways these NFTs are designed is as part of the contract that's inside of the blockchain, 
if they're well, so let's say I buy a NBA one shot um, digital asset for for fifty dollars, and then later I sell it for five thousand. Well, the NBA can get a percentage of that uh, that upsell as well. So the 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 additional you know five thousand minus fifty forty nine fifty, they will then you know the contract can say they always get two percent of that. So now you have this really new alignment with the content creators. Well, like that's great. That solves a big problem I've had with my content of increasing in value through collections. Um, so, so it's going to be really interesting. I think everything's very aligned for it to really explode. But like everything, there's going to be a bunch of noise and there'll be some edge case fraud that goes on and there'll be some security issues. But I do think it's really interesting to think of uh, this content going digital. Um, the biggest knock I get uh, um, is, okay, well, you know, what's it mean? Like, can't I just copy this to my computer? Well, what people don't realize is if you think about intellectual property law, sure, I could take one of these NBA one shots and put it on the computer, but the second you sell it, you violated copyright law, right? You, you, can, you can keep it on your computer, I guess, and watch it all you want, but you can't sell it. I, as the rights owner, I can sell it. Um, so, so there's, you know, it, it has, it has an intellectual property, um, you know, kind of legal concept bound to it that a lot of people don't understand if they haven't dealt with intellectual property. So, um, yeah, I, I went on a long time there. Maybe you have some questions I could answer. You know, so my biggest question at this point is, does the spiffy penguin NFT exist? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it makes sense for Spiffy to get involved in <laughs> NFTs, to be honest with you. But um, I'll, I'll give you a really interesting. You're a musician, right? Um, I'm seeing yeah. some really cool stuff. There's this one musician I follow. Um, he's more of a he, he's kind of a producer mixer. So he takes other people's music and, and comes out with different versions of it at their with their permission. His name's RAC. Uh, that's what he goes by. And he's he's put out. You know, so he's put out exclusive songs, um, and you probably saw Kings of Leon just did an NFT where they had exclusive album art and liner notes and things that you could only get through an NFT. Um, so um, the one thing the RAC guy has done is he's created a uh, almost like a loyalty program around it, where if you, you know, uh, so he's essentially going direct to consumers and starting to go around. Spotify even to get directly to his his listeners and monetize them um, using some of these underlying distributed technologies. So um, because no one can, you know, no one can shut him down because he doesn't, he's outside of a label now and he just now has this really, and you could do a lot of this stuff a long time ago with like SoundCloud and stuff, but because it was a company in the middle of SoundCloud, there, there was always some interference, uh, right? So, but now he can go direct to his his customers and monetize. So you, I think you'd enjoy it. I'll, I'll point you over there. Um, but it's really interesting to see, you know, all the innovation going on in this area. I didn't get it at first. It took me, you know, I hadn't seen the, everyone would say these use cases. And I was just like, eh, a centralized company could do that. I don't really see where decentralized adds value, but now I'm really starting to see it with, um, you know, the a what's going on with, I think with the U S dollar uh, and then B what's going on with these digital um, collectibles is pretty fascinating. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so there's no question. Currency debasement is real. It's going on. It's happening. Um, but the, what's interesting from, from where I sit is that it really hasn't shown up in the actual consumer price index inflation numbers yet. Yeah. There's some interesting articles that, you know, does, is CPI really, or, uh, what is it? Consumer. Yeah. CPI is, uh, is that really a thing? Right. Because, um, you know, it doesn't capture some of the biggest, so it doesn't capture like 
college education and the things that are up and to the right aren't in CPI. So healthcare, college education, some of those things. Um, the things that are in CPI, they're, they're muted because technology is making things cheaper. So like, you know, TVs or um, you know, computers or any, any of that, anything digital touches gets cheaper with the exception of, of healthcare and college or, or and education are kind of up and to the right. Um, and then, yeah. So, you know, and then, you know, uh, yeah, I mentioned I'm a collector and, and I'm sure you've seen this collectibles have just really taken off. And I think part of it is people are hedging dollars by putting them into assets and it's spilling over from houses into, you know, the stock market has acted very unusually during COVID. Uh, and then we're also seeing this, this category of collectibles just really take off. I feel like a lot of that is people intuitively saying, Hmm, I'm not sure my dollars are going to be worth as much. Let me, let me spread them around to different areas and, and try to, you know, uh, de-risk that that inflation true true uh and it's also true that the manna from heaven in the form of stimmies stimulus checks is is, is also fueling that fire yeah yeah so i read it i saw someone said that they cnbc had a thing where 20 percent of people were, were going to just invest it in stocks and, and bitcoin so yeah i don't know what you know 20 percent of all the dollars that are splashing around is but it's a big number absolutely well, you know, with with the experience most people had last year when they received their last stimulus check, why wouldn't they, right? They put the money in the market or put it in Bitcoin and and it went up and it went up big time. So I, you know, it makes total sense to me. Now, just to kind of finish things off, um, you know, one of the last podcasts that I did was with my old economics professor. And one of the things we talked about was sort of this this march towards a more command-controlled economy and away from a free market economy. And so obviously you're an entrepreneur. Uh, you've started many businesses. What are your thoughts on the state of free markets today? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. And uh, I typically stay away from politics because it just feels designed wrong to me. <laughs> so, you know, um, so I you know, socially I'm fine with, you know, pretty much everything, but then fiscally, uh, you know, so I don't really like have a home in the world of politics because they make you choose, like they created this matrix that makes you choose things in a weird way. Um, so, so, you know, what I have found is these people that are really big into centralized economies have never, you know, uh, they've never had an employee or had to make a payroll. Right. <laughs> so uh, like there was a funny example where Bernie Sanders, uh, you know, wasn't paying his own people the $15 he talks about. And then when he did, he had to cut their, their hours back by more than half. Uh, so, so, you know, the, in the business world, we deal with that every day. And, and a lot of these government things don't anticipate there's so many unintended consequences because a lot of the people in our government don't, run businesses and know how the economy really works at a pretty granular level. So yeah, I'm a big fan of free markets. I think sure they're not perfect, but it's way better than than anything else that's been tried. And if we just put some better, you know, incentives and guardrails there, um, and it, it, it's the way to go. Well, Scott, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. This is the first podcast where I've talked about startups, NFTs, um, blockchain, Bitcoin, and uh, different economic models. So I appreciate the journey. Well, folks, that'll do it for today. If you want to learn more about Scott, you can Google his name, Scott with one T, Wingo. 
just spelled exactly how it sounds. Or you can visit, visit his website, getspiffy.com. Or if you want to hear from him directly, I highly recommend you check out the Jason and Scott Show podcast, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks, folks. Have a great day. The information in this podcast is presented for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Gordon Asset Management LLC, its producers, hosts, or guests. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Gordon Asset Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.